Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That might be the plan of attack for Russell. He goes and swings again, and this time he connects even better. And that has gone deep into the crowd at the eastern end for six. Welcome back to the show. Yes, Dre Russ got hold of the Aussies in a big way at Optus Stadium last night, spearheaded the West Indies to a 37-run win. He hit 71 off 29 balls. It was a spectacular ending to the summer of cricket on the men's side of things in Australia. And to just talk about it, we have Code Sports Dan Cherney, a colleague of mine from Code on the line. Welcome, Dan. G'day, Jeff. Good to be with you. So, mate... uh, he can hit a big ball, Andre Russell, when he uh, when he connects. He certainly can. I suppose that's no great revelation. We, we've known <laughs> for a long period over a long period of time that he's um, one of the most explosive players uh, on the T Twenty circuit. Really, a veteran of that scene. Showed it briefly in the Big Bash League in recent summers. Had stints with uh, both the Melbourne clubs. Won, won a game or two off his own bat for the Renegades. Uh, hadn't really pulled it together thus far in the T Twenty series for the Windies, but last night was uh, was something else. You're right, 71 of 29, completely took Adam Zampa to the cleaners. Uh, it was pretty nasty for, uh, for Australia's number one white ball spinner. Uh, yeah, I suppose too little too late in terms of the series for the West Indies, but made for a, for an exciting finale. Uh, got them a consolation victory, ensured they came away from this tour with two wins. Uh, obviously the famous one in the Test Series, and then this one certainly weren't disgraced across the tour, uh, albeit they were given a couple of fair hiding in, in the one-day series. Uh, and from a sort of broader global group perspective, it um, makes things interesting ahead of the T20 World Cup, uh, a remind, which is in June in the Caribbean and the US, a bit of a reminder that the Windies at their best are, are certainly a team to be feared uh, with a player like Russell down the order. They've got you know, some, other, you know, some other big hitters uh, around there, the likes of Robin Powell and Ruston Chase, guys who, who can score quickly. And they just need to get their bowling right. Um, but they do have a, a guy by the name of Shamar Joseph who <laughs> made a fair impression, who hasn't played a T20 international yet, but he's off to the IPL to play for Justin Langer's Lucknow Supergiants, uh, and if he performs well there, then I think he's very much in the frame for the uh, for the T20 World Cup, which uh, which would be epic. And, and, and you know, if he can prove himself to be a, a very white ball bowler as well, well, I think they're they're a serious contender for for that T20 World Crown. How's his toe? <laughs> uh, I did check in on this a couple of days ago. No, he, he's he's very much getting there. He's due to fly off to Pakistan. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, he's over, over in the PSL as a replacement player for uh, England's Gus Atkinson. But no, he's getting there. I, my, my mail is that he's been spending recent days with the, the likes of Guyana's uh, Prime Minister and um, or President, I don't, I don't know which one, and then the Chief of Police. I mean, he's just an absolute VIP megastar over there uh, at home, as he should be. So uh, I, I, think he's, I think he's all right. OK, I was going to say, do they do physiotherapy in their spare time? Um, so... West Indies cricket generally, cricket feels like a stronger sport when the West Indies are up and about. How are they placed, do you think? We saw some, you mentioned the test win. It was fantastic. I mean, I ended up barracking for them, I think, in that game. Um, but how are they placed generally? Are they well placed to improve? They seem pretty young, but or is this just a, um, a, a bit of a false dawn for them? 
Look, I don't think, first of all, I don't think you're alone in, in embarrassing for the West Indies. I think it was one of those very rare occasions where most Aussies weren't unhappy to see Australia lose a, a test match, particularly on home soil, given it had been so long between drinks for the Windies. Look, it's a great question, and you're right. I think the, you know, cricket is clearly a, clearly a richer sport for having a strong or at least competitive West Indies. I think oh, I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm that glass half full about it all. I think there are, there are certainly some elements there to like, and, and Joseph looks like he could be a generational player, and I, I think you know, much will hinge on how good a player he can be, and certainly the fact that you've got their, most, their brightest young star declaring that he wants to play test cricket and, and wants to put the West Indies as his number one, two and three priority makes a, makes a hell of a difference. Um, but having said that, you know, I'm not sure the depth is, is quite there yet. You know, at the end of the day, you still have players flying in and out to play on these T20 um, tournaments. Not, not that the Aussies aren't doing similar at a certain level, but, uh, you know, how, how much is the system strong enough in the West Indies to, to support more players like Shamar Joseph coming through and, and ensuring that they stick to test cricket and certainly that they can support the winners from an international perspective. I mean, I mean the one-day side that copped a big hiding, as I said last week, they had a lot of guys in their 30s, you know, not too many kids there. So, you know, if, if, if they were losing on the back of, um, you know, promising guys in their early 20s, you'd be like, all right, well, at least we can see the sprouts, the shoots there, but I'm not sure it's quite there. So, look, there's a, there's a bit to like, but uh, I think that the sort of broader systemic issues which plague international cricket as a whole and the West Indies are probably the, the, the uh, canary in the coal mine, so to speak, uh, I think they're still there. So it's not, uh, it's not all roses. Now, just to uh, prove that even though I'm 60 now, I do still have uh, a, a sharp memory. I think I, 12 months ago, I spent a lot of time talking to you about why the hell is David Warner still in the Australian team? He's written his own finish, and he's done a pretty good job of it, hasn't he? He's had a very good summer. Uh, no, you're a very young 60, first of all, I should say, Duff. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think... Uh, oh, look, the thing with David Warner and, um, you know... There's been plenty of criticism of David Warner over the last few years that has been very, you know, very much justified, and uh, that's both you know, on and off field, and I completely understand that he rubs people up the wrong way, or some people. But I think the one thing that was probably never really in doubt was his capacity as, as a white ball player. Um, I mean, he re- never really had a major decline in that format, form, uh, in those formats, in the shorter formats. I mean, he was player of the tournament, but the uh, well, he had one, one or two poor IPLs, but. Um, you, you go back to the uh, 2021 uh, T20 World Cup where he was the player of the tournament and was instrumental in Australia winning that, that title. Um, his ODI record had been exceptional. Uh, you know, not no huge decline there at any stage and then continued that through to the World Cup where he was a key figure in Australia's um, momentous victory in India. And then uh, it's funny, on the back of what was a pretty poor ILT20 tournament for him with the Dubai Capitals in the UAE, uh, he's come out and... Uh, been player of the series and in his final what what he has confirmed last night was his final home series uh, in international cricket you know I mean it's a somewhat off-Broadway series clearly um, you know middle of February um, you know back end of summer and uh, not you know not huge stakes so to speak but great to see him with a couple of excellent knocks um, get his get his moment in the sun again uh, heard he walked off to a bit of a standing ovation uh, last night in, in Perth uh, after winning that Player of the Series award. And I thought it was quite fitting uh, in many respects that his home international career finished in that respect because I was lucky enough to be there 15 years ago at the MCG, one of those incredible nights when he, when he made his debut against South Africa and, and smacked them to all corners and attack featuring 
Um, I think teaching Dale Stain, certainly some of South Africa's better, better bowlers and, and a you know, pretty fearsome lineup. And uh, the night also I remember for Sean Tate knocking over A.B. de Villiers with one of the, the quickest balls I can remember. But uh, no, uh, an exceptional career. And um, you know, at the end of the day, in a summer where not many Australians really fly with a bat from a test cricket perspective, David Warner did make a big century in Perth. Um, and, and was you know, probably as influential as any of the Australian batters across the summer. So, uh, yeah, you've you got to hand it to him. He, keeps, um, he does keep silencing the doubters to an extent. Clearly, there, there remain those um, asterisks, on his, asterisks on his career with the record in, in England and India, but uh, nonetheless, an exceptional career. And there still might be one big more chapter to, co- more, uh, big chapter to come heading into the T20 World Cup in June in the US and, and the West Indies. So how are we shaping up for that? Daniel, how do you see the team taking shape, given that they, they sort of played around with their personnel a little bit in the T20 games um, this summer? Um, who do you see coming back in and who do you see as vulnerable? Yeah, great question. I'm actually looking at that whole landscape today, um, just trying to sort of figure out figure out myself. But I, I think, uh, look, they, across, they've got these two T20 series, one against the West Indies, which is just done, and now they've got three in, in New Zealand, which I think is where they will look to sort of sharpen up a bit and uh, pick what is closer to their full-strength side. We know that the big three quicks were all coming back. I know Josh Hazelwood sort of floated in and out of the, the white ball matches, but uh, we didn't see any of Mitchell Stark or Pat Cummins against the West Indies in the white ball games. We will see them in New Zealand, I think at least, think at least for the first couple of games. Maybe they might rest for the last one before the tests. Um, and, uh, and Travis Head will be back as well, and Steve Smith as well. So I, I think, look, Cummins, Stark and Hazelwood I think you know they are pretty much locks for that squad. Whether one, whether all three play in every game across the tournament in the T20 World Cup, I think is up for debate. I mean, you've got to remember back to the 2022 World Cup on home soil, and, and across the board, they didn't have a great tournament, particularly Stark and Cummins. Stark was actually dropped for the final game for Kane Richardson against Afghanistan in Adelaide. But I think when you consider you know their value, um, I mean the, the, the IPL. Auction is actually a very good way of, of proving T20 value. I mean, that, these are sort of independent clubs that, that, so that they don't do sentiment. They just want to, um, you know, they just want to pick the best available players. And, and but the sums of money that Stark and Cummins went for, and Travis Head for that matter, just really proves um, how valuable they are. Um, Travis Head, I think, having um, established himself at the top of the order, I think it, it will be on that plane to, to uh, the Caribbean. And I think he will open the batting with David Warner. I think Steve Smith is. He's probably in the squad at this point, but I'm not sure he's in the best 11. Uh, he might be fighting for for the last batting spot. I think the, probably the biggest winner of this series from an Australian perspective was Tim David. Yeah, I agree um, with that. And even, yep. Yeah, and even towards the back end of that innings you know, last night when, when the game was petering out, he obviously clubbed a few big sixes and, and just proved across those three games that he's a force international cricket level. Um, so, you know, in terms of who's vulnerable, I think... Uh, Look, I think Josh Inglis and Matthew Wade will both be on the plane. Whether there's room for both in the same side remains to be seen. I think they'd probably prefer Wade just at this, at this stage, although Inglis he's, you know, he's an incredible player at his best, so certainly wouldn't be discounting him. I think there is potentially room for both in the same side. I think Aaron Hardy probably didn't quite, didn't quite uh, do, do, enough. Well as, yep. do enough. To, so he's got to, got to probably misses out at this point. Matt Short's coming back assuming he's fit for the New Zealand series, so he's going to be around the mark. Um, the backup quicks are going to be interesting. So you've got Nathan Ellis, who I think they really like as a death bowler, uh, who's, who's going to be, um, who should be back for the New Zealand games, and I, I think he's probably in the box seat to be the, the, the fourth pace seed. Sean Abbott's still in contention. 
Jason Barrendorf might not have done enough, you know, that's which is stiff because he, you know, he's done a lot right, but it's very hard when you've got Mitchell Stark ahead of you. And I think the likes of Spencer Johnson, Xavier Bartlett uh, are coming from uh, from a fair way back. And the one that probably interests me as much as anyone is Marcus Stoinis. Yeah. Um, and whether yeah. he has done enough. I mean, his batting has just fallen off a cliff, really. It's just been, he's just not doing nearly enough of the bat, but he is still making useful contributions with the ball. So I almost think he's sort of, at this point, fighting with someone like a Sean Abbott for, for sort of to be the 7 8, you know, really a bowling all rounder at this stage of his career. Um, I suspect he does make the flight, and um, they've, they've got the IPL ahead as well, which can can shape selection. And that's where Cameron Green is sort of the the, the smoky here because um, they, they've let him they've let him prioritise shield cricket and with, with good reason given the tests ahead. But he's got a full IPL campaign ahead to push his case. So there's still a lot to play out in this race. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. That doesn't even I haven't even mentioned the prospect of a second spinner, which I think they will definitely look at heading to the West Indies. That that would be between. Ashton Agar and, uh, and Tanvir Sanger. So, yeah, there's, a few, there's several questions at play, and um, they're, they're good issues for Australia to have because they've got plenty of options. They're winning, um, and um, you know I think they're going to be very much at the pointy end come that World Cup. We love genuine speed. There are a couple of young quicks in Australia at the moment. Obviously, we love the wild thing over here. Lance Morris, he played a couple of games for Australia in the limited over formats. I love the easy pace that Spencer Johnson is able to generate. He just runs in, pops the shoulder up, rolls the arm over, and out comes something at 145 kilometres an hour. I mean, it's uh, he's got height, he's got great rhythm. Um, what do you see as his top end as a bowler? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, there there is an effortlessness, effortlessness to him. I don't know. Maybe it helps when you have that sort of when you look like that. You got that hair, and you know, you just you know, you're a good looking rooster. <laughs> it probably it makes it makes it all look a bit more effortless, doesn't it? But uh, no, look. He's an interesting player. I mean, he he's older than you know. You might think he, he she would be, given how little cricket he's played. I mean, he's twenty eight, I think, or twenty seven or twenty eight, um, and you know, for a long time, um, barely played in a career with injuries, and was you know the last guy to get a spot on the South Australian list a, a couple of summers ago. You know, it might all have been for nothing. Um, I mean, you know, Ricky Ponting um, and, and others have pushed for him to be a, you know, the, the, make him uh, the heir apparent to Mitchell Stark's sort of um, left arm quick role. And, and I think there is, um, you know, he's clearly got that potential, but he's played so little first-class cricket. So what I'd really like to see from Spencer Johnson and from South Australia in the back half, in, the, in the next few weeks is for him to just, you know, come out and play two or three Shield games and to take some wickets uh, and to really push himself into into next into um, into next summer and, and start that shield season strongly and, and make himself you know really there ready to go in case something goes wrong for Mitchell Stark next summer heading into the the, uh, the series against India and and then beyond. Um, but you know that's still a big if. He's had some injury concerns. He's got the IPL as well. It also he's got to decide what he wants to be at this stage of his career. I mean he could easily go off and just make a lot of money on the on the franchise circuit and become a a white ball specialist um, where, where those sorts of skills are always in demand. And, and it's easier because, um, you know, you're not bowling nearly as many overs and the money is there. But, um, you know, I think there is still scope for him to have a, an excellent, excellent international career. It just um, just depends whether he wants it and uh, whether he's willing to, or he's willing and able to, um, to, to, to get there. What sort of, one more before I let you go, Daniel, what sort of penetration do you think we're going to get into the United States based on the 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 T20 league that's taking shape over there and the the fact that the T20 World Cup is going to be in part played there? What what is it going to do for the the sport? Do you think? 
Look, it's been sort of the final frontier and, and the, the, the great the great hope for a long time in his national cricket, um, and clearly for obvious and myriad reasons. Um, you know, any sport, particularly cricket, is keen to uh, to tap into that US market. I mean, there is a huge, huge expat. Uh, South Asian, particularly Indian community over there. So the, the, there is a licensed market there. And I, I've heard stats, I, I'm not sure exactly how, how accurate all these are, but anecdotally that around 10% of global cricket traffic to certain websites comes from the US. So there's a really, you know, there, there is a very strong diaspora there. Look, they're investing. I mean, they've got some um, you know, big money backers in this major league cricket, including a handful of Indian Premier League clubs. And you've got um, three of the, you know, the Australian states, who are backing it to varying degrees as well. Having a World Cup there is huge. You know, India and Pakistan and New York. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big. You know, it doesn't get much bigger than that. So, look, I don't know whether you know what it means generationally, but the thing with the US is it's such a obviously such a big and wealthy country that you don't need to tap into all that much of it to, to be successful. You know, if they can just get it, if they can just finally sort of harness what they have there and get all their ducks in a row and, and actually. Because U.S. cricket has sort of not been able to get out of its own way over a long period of time, it's been an administrative shambles to varying degrees. So, uh, look, I, I don't know quite what the, the, the sky, you know, the, the limit is there, but um, I think there's a huge upside, and clearly they're investing, and, and it's exciting because I mean, um, yeah, you think of you think of the U.S. and uh, and the prospect of you know, Americans at any level getting into cricket, and. Um, it is exciting. I wouldn't feel too bad about them being a shambles administratively. Look at look at their uh, their presidential candidates for later <laughs> in the year. That, 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 the shambles goes a long further up the food, a lot further up the food chain than cricket administration, I reckon, Daniel. Um, mate, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Always appreciate your thoughts. Look forward to reading your stuff on code about uh, how the T20 World Cup team is taking shape and uh, really appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely, Duff. No worries. Daniel Cherney, he writes for Code Sports. Uh, he's a gun, uh, covers the cricket for them and uh, always a very thoughtful and provocative columnist and uh, certainly a good person to have as a guest on the show. Give us your thoughts. You can text in 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you on the Bower and Doday open line. That is 13 12 55. 13 12 55, Bower and Doday, because the little things are everything. We'll be back after the break.